If you've got your scriptures this morning, you can turn over. It's in the New Testament. It's the book of Titus. So you've got First and Second Timothy, Titus, and we'll get to Titus chapter 3 here in just a moment. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, it's, uh, it's great to be in your house this morning. I praise you for the worship. Just praise you for the voices and the laughter of uh, the kids, and uh, just a great day to be alive. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent us your son, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Okay, we are going through a series this month and next month, and the series is called Restless. And basically what that means are what are the things in life that keep us up at night? Now imagine how many of those items we have in our life that keep us up at night. Now here's why this is important. It's interesting that there are 40 million Americans annually who say they have sleep issues. Now I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I've dealt with a lot of folks that have sleep issues. And for example, my wife has a sleep issue. You know, we, we talk, she gets aggravated with me because uh, I sleep pretty easily and she's like, you should be stressing more about this and that. All of us know what it's like to lay awake at night and there's just something that is keeping us up. Now I have some good news. I've been doing some research and I have a couple of uh, tips, some advice that may help you sleep better. Here's number one is turn off all the screens TV, laptop, iPhones, everything, 30 minutes before you go to bed, okay? And they say if you do that, you'll kind of slowly, the stimulation will die down. Number two, order my last two sermons. <laughs> Listen to them, it'll knock you out every time, okay? Now, here's the interesting, we're going to be talking today about losing sleep over conflict. Now, I'm going to share with you a couple of ways that may not be the best way to handle conflict. Here's the first one. This is a picture I took in Greene County. I don't know if you can read it. It's got a hand grenade with the number one. It says, complaint department, take a number. Have you ever felt like that? That's how you want to deal with the pressure. Here's number two. You go in attack mode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You want a piece of this? Yeah. That's another way to handle conflict. I don't think it's the best way to handle conflict. But seriously, I want you to think about this quote by Stephen B. Thuler. Here's what he said. Conflict builds character. Crisis defines it. Now think about that again. Conflict builds character, but crisis defines it. Here's something that's interesting. In the Chinese alphabet, they put together words, and then the symbols, uh, there's a translation that goes with the symbol. This is the symbol for the word crisis. But listen to the translation. Dangerous opportunity. That's where every conflict lies. When we have a conflict with another human being, it's a dangerous opportunity. It can be a great opportunity to grow, or we've all had conflicts where at the end of a meeting, it went south, and we're like, oh my land, that was dangerous, and it's not going anywhere fast. Maybe some of you this week came here, and you didn't sleep last night because you're in conflict right now with someone and it's just eating at you. And I'll tell you, this is a tough sermon to preach because I've, I've laid in bed, I'll be honest with you, and I've had that, that pit in your stomach, you know what I'm talking about? And you're just laying there and you're trying not to think about it, but you know there's a meeting coming the next day, and you know that that meeting potentially could get heated if it's not handled right. And we all know how sickening that makes us feel. But here's what I'm here to do this morning. I wanna share two ways to cope with conflict that sometimes leads to crisis. Number one, if you've got your scriptures, Titus chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. 
Turn over with me to Titus chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, these things that are excellent, profitable for everyone. Now look at verse 9. Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are, would you say these with me, unprofitable and what? Useless. So here's the first way to deal with conflict. If you're taking notes, you have to have the courage to walk away. You have to have the courage to walk away, and that's hard. Now let me just dive in a little bit about this book, Titus, because that's really important. As you read the books of Timothy and Titus, here's what you need to understand. Paul, one of the things I love about Paul, he invested in younger leaders, and he invested in Titus and Timothy. Now, they were not pastors, and they were not elders. For, for the, the best definition, I'd say they were advisors or consultants. So he's investing in them, and he said, I want you to start going and traveling to other communities where churches are starting, and you need to help them develop qualifications for leadership and you also need to help them develop church policy because guess what? There will be conflict, and you need to know from a biblical perspective how to handle conflict. Now, how many of you would agree from 2,000 years ago that that applies to the church today? Raise your hand. If you're not all raising your hands, you're not getting it. There is human beings in the church, and when you have human beings, there's always potential conflict, and that's okay. Honestly, tension is good. It's how we handle tension, and it's how we handle conflict. And you'll notice, this is why it's so important to know to when to have the courage to walk away. Avoid what? Foolish controversies, arguments, things that are unprofitable and useless. In other words, you have to determine before any conflict, does this really matter? Does this really matter? When you're younger, I'll just be honest, Everything seems like it matters. And as you get older, isn't it true? You're like, you know what? Seriously, that doesn't matter. Now, I know you're going to think I'm strange. You already know that. But when I was a sophomore in college, um, there was actually a movie that had influence on me, a great influence. And I know you're probably thinking this amazing theological movie, you know, like Dead Poet Society. Uh, it was the movie Meatballs with Bill Murray, okay? <laughs> and here's why. In that movie, there was this camper uh, Bill Murray's a camp counselor, and there's this camper who just, this little guy, he just felt like he had no value in life, and Murray invested in this little guy, and he just, like, got a new life. And I remember sitting there, and I'm like, that's what I want to do the rest of my life. I just want to invest in people and let them believe that there's something great in them. And I don't know why, but that movie resonated with me. But there's a classic scene in that movie where Bill Murray brings all the camp together, and they're going like a junior Olympics against the other camp across the lake, and they're all elitist. Like at that other camp, they have all kinds of money, and they've got all the losers, and they're getting slaughtered like they get slaughtered every year. And here's this theme. Here's the deal. He's talking to all the campers. At the end of the day, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't. Would you say that with me? It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And he concludes with this deep, heart-pulling statement. I want you to realize, all the campers here, that all the girls here are going to grow up, every one of them, and they're going to marry the guys across the lake because they're rich, because it just 
doesn't matter. And they go, they're clapping. And I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I need to remind myself in life, this just doesn't matter. Think of the times in life that we have lost sleep over something that doesn't matter. Matter of fact, I went online and I just put in the phrase, I was trying to find some blogs under things that don't matter. And I found one was a woman's perspective and one was a man's. Let me share briefly the woman's perspective. This is a, a woman of preschool children, so keep that in mind. First of all, she said, I have found that these are the things that matter most for myself and my kids, teaching them how to love their Jesus, teaching them to love like Jesus, teaching them to be grateful, to be thankful, teaching them to give back, teaching them to think of others, to be respectful, teaching them that little things matter like opening the door, saying thank you. These are the things that matter. But listen to how she shares her heart to the things that don't matter. You see, sometimes I think we, speaking to herself and myself included, we are so devastated because we're trying to be the perfect Pinterest mom. We're so busy trying to potty train them by two, have them reading by three, writing cursive at four, and we forget the big picture. We forget what matters most. Don't you love her heart? And then I want you to listen to a man who is reflecting over his life about the things that don't matter. Living up to unrealistic expectations, and he's speaking to men. Television. Why are we obsessed with television? You know it doesn't matter what the Kardashians do or Jersey Shore. It doesn't matter. And then he says sports results. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, okay? <laughs> that does matter, okay? But in all honesty, and I'm picking all the guys here, have you ever lost sleep over a ball game? Don't raise your hand. Not like, Mike, what are you raising your hand for? Yeah. Yeah, like yesterday, there's no need to lose sleep over that, you know. But I've I, I got to be brutally honest with you. Um, man, I have lost sleep over ball games. My wife and I, one time we were dating, and it was during that really intense time of dating when this could be the one dating, you know what I mean? And I'm in my little Chevette. I'm really impressive. So I'm in my little Chevette, and, I'm, and it was a state championship game, and it was the team that I was ministering at. And, it's, and it, it's real scratchy. You know how it's real scratchy and guys will do anything? They'll just lean in. And we were in a really heavy conversation, you know. Um, I think I'd ask her to marry me or something like that. But anyway, <laughs> really intense. And it was real scratchy. And I'm leaning in. And she goes, do you hear a word I'm saying? And I'm like, the ball game's on. <laughs> how many guys have done that at least once in your life? And, and you wish you had never said those words, you know, the ball game. Okay. There are so many things in life that honestly, they don't matter. And what Titus has said is, when you get into worthless <coughs> genealogies and arguments about things that don't matter, you're so far off track. You're allowing conflict to come into your life that has no business. So here's a loaded question for you. What petty thing recently have you lost sleep over that really doesn't matter? What petty thing recently have you lost sleep over that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I want you to notice again in verse 8. Here's what does matter. Devote yourself to what? Things that are good, excellent, profitable for all. Those things matter. And if we're 
if we're not careful, we'll be robbed of our joy if we allow things that don't matter to capture our heart. Henry Cloud, who is a writer, an amazing communicator, and he deals with leadership, shared an, an amazing survey that was done through um, an insurance agency. And here's what they did. Uh, this insurance agency conducted this experiment where they took two groups of applicants. And they said, we just want to see which one of this, which group is a better sales group. So the first group is they took that excelled on the testing and got the highest scores in aptitude, okay? Uh, off the charts in aptitude. And so they set this group over here. But what's interesting is they had an incredibly high aptitude, but they kind of had a, a downer spirit, but yet they excelled academically. The next group actually failed the test, but they were extremely optimistic. And then they turned them loose in sales. After a long period of time, they brought them all in, all the data. Which group do you think sold the most? Somebody guess. Why do you think the second group? They're dumb enough to realize, I guess I'm just supposed to sell stuff. You see what I'm saying? And, it, and here's the thing. You want to, <coughs> statistically, 53% higher. And you'd say, that makes no sense. This first group, off the charts, academically, but yet saw things a little negative. The second group, extremely optimistic, but man, they were terrible taking tests. And the whole idea was the second group woke up every day and believed they could get it done. And they got it done. Now, folks, I am so encouraged because guess what? I was never in the first group. <laughs> and some of you probably were never in that first group. But if we change our attitude, and if we don't allow Satan, honestly, to rob us of the joy from things that don't matter, honestly, the sky's the limit, what God can do with everybody that's here today. God can do amazing things if you will surrender to him. Second of all, and this is huge, is we need to have the confidence to face conflict biblically. How do we face conflict biblically? In Titus 3, verses 10 through 11, and then Matthew 18, I want you to listen again to these words. Warn a divisive person, this is Titus 3, warn a divisive person able, and you, warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time, and after that, have nothing to do with them. Wow, that's pretty intense. Now go over to Matthew chapter 18. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Let's read that second phrase again. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. Let me just, let me just camp on that one verse and let's talk about conflict because there is a wealth of wisdom and how to deal with conflict biblically. It's what I call rules of edification, not engagement. Too many people think when there's conflict between another human being that it's going to end in a negative way, and it doesn't have to in any way, if you approach it biblically. I had a really good friend a few years ago. He was a worship leader with me in Illinois. His name was Scott Hurley, <clears throat> and he handled conflict better than any human being I've ever seen. And he worked in a uh, retirement center, and so he was the second in command so he did all the hiring, he did all the firing, he dealt with all the patients, he dealt with all the residents' parents, grandparents. I mean, he dealt with the whole gamut. He met with these people all the time. Extremely stressful position. So I went over one time and I had lunch with him 
and I forget what I was whining about, but I said, Scott, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do this every day when you know you're dealing with people and there's a lot of conflict. And he said, I learned something years ago, and I never used this phrase, and he said, it has saved me so many times, and I've had so many great conversations. I never use the phrase, what I'm going to share with you is constructive criticism. How many have ever heard that? What do you think when you hear <coughs> constructive criticism? I know what I think. I can't wait for this conversation. This is great. Please criticize me some more because this is constructive. Do you, ever, do you feel that way? No. He said, I, I never say that. He goes, here's what I always say. Hey, there may have been a misunderstanding, and this is an opportunity for us together to get better, which makes the company better. And he goes, it's surprising how people will go, huh, well, what do you want to share? And he goes, no, no, what, what do you want to share? And he says, then I listen first, and then we talk it through. And he said, it's surprising how people don't leave angry. They feel lifted up because you know what? They got through the conflict. And you know what? All of us feel this way. You lose sleep, you, you have the conflict, and how many of you, after the conflict, if it's handled right, feel so much better? Because there's actually understanding on the table. But I'm not going to have you raise your hand. How many of you have been in a conflict with someone, and you're like, whoa, what was that? Man, I mean, that was like being blindsided. And, and you think how angry that is. So here's a biblical way to handle conflict. Number one, Start with yourself. Luke 6.41. Remember when Jesus says, take the speck out of your eye? In other words, before you go into conflict, always ask the question, what is it that I have uh, done that I could have done better? And that always helps me. When I go to, into any type of a meeting that I know there's tension, I always ask first, what is it I've done? Because I always want to jump on that. It's your problem without looking at myself first. And then this one is, if you're taking notes, put a star on this one. Don't go to others about a conflict. Go to the person you have the conflict with first. Here's what Bill Hybels does, and this is one of the most brilliant things I've ever heard a leader do. He said, whenever there's conflict at my church and I have to meet with someone and they come in my office, here's the very first thing I say. Let's say it's Jim. He says, Jim, uh, I think we've had a misunderstanding, but I want you to know I have not talked to one human being. You're the very first person I've talked to about this. He said, all of a sudden, the tension in the room goes down 50%. How many of you ever had a meeting where somebody said, uh, there was a couple of us talking the other day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who? It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, it does matter. Well, I guess it wasn't two. I guess it was I guess it was a room of 40 or 50. You know, anyway, when it accelerates, think how the conflict accelerates. But if we can stick to that one principle, did you notice that biblical principle? You go to an individual that there's been confrontation with, and you just say, <clears throat> I'm talking to you first. I haven't talked to anyone else. Number three is be prayed up. Are you prayed up before you go into any kind of a difficult meeting? Because I can tell you in the past, the meetings, I know when I'm prayed up. And I've been in meetings when I'm not prayed up at all. And when I go into meetings not prayed up, I always act out in the flesh. And I always get extremely defensive. And maybe some of you are wired like me too. You know what it's like to step into those kind of meetings. Number four is don't get historical. And here's what I mean by that. You probably heard this joke 
about a couple that went in for marriage counseling. And it was a husband and wife. They'd been married a long time. And the counselor said, uh, as we get started, is there, is there really an issue that we can get out on the table right now? And right away, the husband said, here's the problem. She gets so upset. We go through this every time. Then she gets historical. And then we both start screaming at each other. Goes, no, I'm sorry, you meant hysterical. He goes, no, no, I meant historical. She's never forgot one thing that I've ever done wrong. And we go through this time and time again. Now, here's the deal. We can all relate being in situations just like that where we sit down and somebody goes through. And matter of fact, let me give you two words you should never use. Never use the word always and never. You want to escalate something, use either one of those. You are always, you never. And then immediately it escalates. It's not a good situation. Number five is just learn to listen. I guarantee this has happened to everybody in this room. You're upset with somebody and there's a confrontation and you pull them in your office, or they go, you go in their office, whatever, and it's kind of tense. And, um, and for whatever reason, as you've prayed through this, you just say something like, um, hey, is everything okay? I mean, really, is everything okay? And how many of you have had a situation where somebody will almost break down and say, you know what, honestly, there's something going on at home right now, and it's just tearing me up. And all of a sudden, what you thought was going to be a confrontation isn't that way at all. Everything changes because you realize there's something bigger going on in their life. You know why that's important? Because sometimes that's exactly where you're setting. There's something bigger going on in your life, and you're acting it out, and you want so desperately to tell someone. And when we begin to listen, you'll pick up on that. You'll know that somebody's hurting. And then number six is simply always try to end on a positive note. Proverbs 51 says a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Always try to end up positive. And then this one's pre-advice. This isn't biblical. This is John. You can throw this out if you want. Let me tell you how I've seen a lot of uh, small confrontations turn into huge confrontations. It's called Facebook. It's, you get angry, and I'm going to vent publicly about an individual. And guess what? bad news. You want a brush fire? There it is. Do not, do not vent on Facebook. There's just nothing, I'm just telling you straight up, nothing good is going to come out of that. And I, it hasn't happened once or twice. I cannot tell you. I'll have people say, I am so mad at so-and-so. And they'll say, did you read Facebook? And I love it because I'm like, no, I, I don't. And they're like, well, I got to show you. I'm like, I'm not, no, I'm not going to read that. I'm just not going to read it. Matter of fact, this is what I do. You don't have to take my advice. When I'm mad, I'd never write it down at all. I don't send anybody, I don't send anybody a letter. I don't put it on Facebook. I don't, I don't write it down. It will come back and bite you every time. I'm just being brutally honest. I think Paul, if you were here today, he'd say, get off Facebook. Don't, and I'm not, I don't mean like your pictures of your kids. I don't mean that. I mean, don't vent on Facebook. Okay, that one's free. Okay. Just to wrap this up, if you're the one that's being confronted, here's some things that I think are biblically helpful. Allow time for someone to vent. If somebody's upset with you, what's the first thing we want to do, all of us? Defensively, we want to get right in the grill. Like, no, hey, don't you bring that in my kitchen. That ain't going to happen. But if you allow somebody to vent 
And then the second one is try not to get defensive. That's easy to say, but try not to. And then number three is if you are wrong, I love this, wave the white flag. Uh, years ago, we had a guy worked at Sherwood Oaks with me, uh, our worship. His name was George Ross. And I remember, I forget, he totally forgot. I think it was an appointment or something. And we were having a big staff meeting. So I can remember looking in the doorway, and there was literally this pole with a white flag. And he, he, he just waved it in the office. And man, we all started laughing. And he walked in, and he goes, I totally blew that last night. I think we all had a huge meeting, and I spaced it. And he said, guys, my bad. Now, how mad can you get a guy when he does that? And afterwards, I'm like, man, George, that was, that was really cool. And here's what he said. He goes, John, I've learned that if you wave the white flag when you've blown it immediately, it's the best thing to do. And I'm serious. I can't tell you how many times I think it's important if you blow it, just to immediately say, hey, here's the deal. I blew it. I'm not going to use any excuses. I totally dropped the ball. Does that mean it's going to heal 100% of the time? No. But wake up sometimes to that. Number four, don't switch the issue. And then the last one is always search for the nugget of gold. Sometimes when we're in confrontations, let's be honest, it stings. But if we can try to walk away and say, there is a nugget of gold, and that is so critical. Now, I know today it sounded more like a lesson, but conflict is huge. And folks, I think if we can take a biblical approach to conflict, I think we'd be surprised where we can go as a church because conflict's always going to be there, always. How we handle it is critical. Here's why this is so important. Churches split when they don't handle conflict correctly. Would you agree with that? Okay. This is a true story, and it, I wish it weren't, but this actually happened, and it's heartbreaking. Uh, this, uh, years ago, there was a church, <clears throat> and believe it or not, they got in an argument over the church music. Can you believe that? <laughs> Churches out argue over worship. It's just crazy, you know. And uh, you want to guess what the, you would think it would be drums. Drums is usually the instrument. Would you agree, Tony, that lights it up? But it wasn't drums. It was the church organ, okay? Now, if you grew up, I grew up with a piano and an organ, and both of the ladies, they were self-taught, and I'm, I'm being very kind because they've passed away. You could tell they were self-taught, okay? You know what I'm saying? You know, I felt sorry for the one lady because when it's cold, it's hard to play organ with mittens, you know? So anyway, um, uh, with this church, though, they got in this big argument over uh, the church organ, and you guys have probably been a part of churches that have congregational meetings that get out of hand. I don't know if you've ever been a part of one of those. Good times. Oh, man, you know. And here was the discussion. You know, it wasn't how are we going to win more people to Jesus Christ? How are we going to set up this program to help the needy? It was the church organ. We got to talk about the organ. Half the, the church is like, we hate that thing. And the other half is, you know, I will beat you up. My mother plays the organ. You know, it was that kind of mature argument going on. And it just got so heated they actually called off the meeting. They said, everybody go home. And then it's always like, oh, pray about it. You know, it's usually how they end those type of things. Guess what happened the next Sunday? The organ was gone. Oh, now it ramped up a whole nother level. <laughs> Somebody stole the church organ. You know who I think it was, so that you know what's going on. And this is going on. I'm glad they stole it. I hope they blow it up. I know. Oh, you're killing my mother's rolling over in her grave. You know, it's just going back and forth. This is he, every week. It's like, how do we solve the stolen church organ dilemma? I mean, it has dominated 
this congregation. Weeks and weeks later, they found the organ. Anybody want to guess where it was? In the room next to the baptistry. Think about that. They were so mad at each other over an instrument, they completely forgot their mission to win people to Jesus Christ. Think how embarrassed they were when they went back and go, oh, we haven't been in this room in a long time. There's the church organ. And I read that and it just kind of broke my heart because I thought, wow, there's a lot of churches that actually can split over things that really don't matter. There's churches that split because they don't know how to handle conflict. And my prayer is that not just that we'll get along, but that every step that we take together as a congregation, that we'll do it the biblical way. That we'll always keep the things in front of us that matter most. And when there's conflict, let's handle it like Christ would want us to handle it. And amazing things are going to happen. I want you to think about, as we transition now, so if we could come up, that some of you may be dealing with conflict right now. And you've lost a lot of sleep. And you just need to pray. So I want you to know at any time as we sing an invitation, you can come up the way people will pray with you. And that we always have the prayer room to my left available just to pray with you. Because I'll tell you what, all kidding aside, when you're dealing with conflict, it is a hard place to be. And I get that. And we want to pray with you. Some of you may want to take the first step of making this your church home. Or you want to surrender to Christ. And we want to be here for you too. As we stand and as we sing.